0: Hey, hey, welcome back to our series listeners um we are in a new series uh it's called 2020 lemons oh my gosh i don't if you didn't get enough of me in the last episode talking about how you can make lemonade with lemons then you're probably not going to uh, like this episode because we're going to keep talking about lemons and why uh because i absolutely love lemons i'm half greek um so we put lemons in everything um So we're going to continue talking about what type of dishes or drinks you can make with lemons. I'm just kidding, listeners. Um, (laughs) Actually, we are here with my business partner, Michelle Elder, and we have a special guest today, Nicole Miller. Hi, welcome. Hey, y'all. Hey, so good to have you. Um, Nicole comes to us. We actually all once back in the day used to work with one another. So. Crazy. I know. I know. But today we are going to um, continue our momentum and continue reflecting back on the 2020 year. And if you're listening to this many years later, we're just doing a moment of reflection in the past. And so, yeah, Nicole, introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hey, all Hey, this is Nicole Miller. I am island-raised and Texas-raised. So... I am currently the Vice President of Global Workforce Technology at JPMorgan Chase, but I think getting here was just a series of happy accidents. I started my career off probably in business or law because coming from an Asian immigrant family, those are my two choices. Um, But when I got to college, I realized that those two things weren't necessarily the things I wanted to do. And I think we're all looking for what our purpose is. And it's not easy to find it so through a series of happy accidents i found my way here and it started with working at a pr firm realizing that wasn't for me my father took ill so i went home and i took over our family business which was a day spa and people tell me why would you ever leave a day spa in honolulu i said because living in honolulu is like living in a small town you know everybody and everybody knows you and all your business so I wanted to spread my wings a little bit further. So we took that business, we expanded it, we had five locations, we opened up in California, and then 2008 hit. And the business got 80 percent in, I don't know, six months, and we were very close to bankruptcy. And I told our board, I'd like to do something different. I'd like to open a school. And they said, are you insane in in a recession? Why would you open a school? Do you want to tank us faster? (laughs) I said, you know, we, we bring in people all the time and we're constantly retraining them in order to get to the expectations that we're looking for. So why don't we just open a school? And I think that was one of the happiest accidents ever because it was in that school that I found I loved working with people and unlocking their potential. It was... The woman who had had her third career and coming back to look for something that fulfilled her. It was that 17 year old girl who was just leaving the nest and getting out of high school and trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life. It was that man who was trying to break in a completely different industry and feeling terrified and looking for a safe space. And it was there that I thought, hmm, this feels good, this feels right. So I spent the next five to seven years building that business, turning it into an executive consulting solution. And then I figured out that's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to figure out how to help people unlock their potential. When my father passed in 2009, in that long, I don't want to do the business anymore. It was really hard because he was such an integral part of it. And so my husband said, well, what do you want to do? I said, let's leave Hawaii. We can go to New York. Or California. And so we ended up in Texas. And that's what began my corporate career. So I went from retail to manufacturing to cybersecurity. And I spent a lot of years in leadership development, in consulting. And then I happy accident, through a contact at FedEx, I found my way to JP Morgan. And here's where I am today.
2: That's an incredible story. I love particularly love your your idea around purpose and finding that i think for a lot of us it does happen accidentally i know that i know that you did a lot in your early career to help other people find their purpose how did you help them get to that place a
1: lot of it i think is is asking the hard questions and I will always warn them ahead of time that, hey, you know, there might be some questions I ask you that are going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but you got to kind of push into that because that's really where you grow. Michelle, there's something you used to say that I now tell my kids and it is, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. And so when I'm working with someone, those are the things I talk about. And so I'll ask them questions like, if money were not an issue, would you still be doing what you're doing right now? Or if someone is deciding between two jobs, I ask, would you take less money for the job that you're in or the job that you're going to? Because that seems to be what people are chasing. Money, title, status. Those are the big three, right? But I think it's because we are conditioned as a society to make those the big three. Are you making more money? Do you have a bigger title? Do you have more status? Do you have a bigger team? Those are all the things. But are those really the things that lead to fulfillment? And a lot of it is based on the happiness advantage, Sean Acor. Why are we chasing success when we should be chasing happiness? And the byproduct of happiness is truly that success. So those are some of the questions I ask to get someone to their purpose. Or I ask them just what makes you happy? I have them do a top 10 list. What are the top 10 things that you need to absolutely have in a job for you to be part of it. And then I need your top 10. It's like a relationship yes, list. Yes. What are your hard passes? What are your no's? And then <laughs> you line up your job to that. And If it doesn't line up, are you really in the right place?
2: It's so funny. It's, um, I asked that because I went through this process. I talked a little bit about this on the last podcast. I went through this process for months in my previous job because we are conditioned that the next title or the biggest thing. And I was on that track and I was ready to step into that next title in a VP role, a bigger team, a huge organization, but I wasn't happy. I didn't want to go to work every day. And for me as well, it took, well, for me, like most of America, it almost took that illusion collapsing in order to realize that wasn't what was bringing me happiness? That's hard, right? Because that's what the world tells you. Yep. The world tells you more money, more jobs. So love that. Tell us a little bit about your home life, what you're willing to share. Cause you've got a lot of stuff going on there. As well. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm going to be honest with you. Like every time I told you earlier, the Mia diaries are one of my favorite <laughs> things to read. But I actually saw some of the stuff you were cooking over the holidays, and I made a resolution that I was going to cook a new dish, a new dessert, and a new meal every month until I find my signature dish. So that's the reason I know you have a lot of stuff going
1: on. I love it. So um, I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and a soon-to-be 37-year-old husband, and they're all my kids. But what we have going on at home, gosh, we had a lot of, because of COVID, of course, my kids were at home for a lot of the time and there was a lot of, what do I do with them? And so I figured, why don't we start cooking together? I've always loved to cook. No, that's a lie. I only started to love cooking when I got pregnant with Mia. I come from a long line of chefs. My grandmother and great-grandmother used to have a catering business in the Philippines. My dad was a chef. My mom was a cook. My ex-husband was a chef. And y'all, I could not, I could not make a salad until I got pregnant. It was sad. And then, I don't know, something about being pregnant with me, it just turned on the genes. So I have been... Well, we're also watching The Great British Bake Off. So if you have not seen it, it is fantastic TV and it makes me want to do things every week. So every week I decide, usually during what we're watching, I'm going to make that. So I've made everything from chocolate babkas, I made a guava cheese babka, different types of soda breads. I've done a short crust pastry, hot water crust pastries, and then of course, things that are part of our culture. So it's New Year's Eve now, tomorrow, New Year's Day, we're going to make pierogi in honor of Sean's Ukrainian heritage. But we're also making lumpia as a nod to my Filipino heritage. And my kids get to be part of that because food and family—that's—that's that's really what these times are about. The two things that kind of ground you. You so just like to eat. I love that. There's such a payoff if you're willing to cook. Such
2: a payoff. So mine this month is masaman curry. <gasps> uh-huh. So like that—that's the cashew-based curry, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. That's so good really excited about that one and I'm going to do a homemade cheese I mean a homemade carrot cake oh that's so good yeah you you do this I did not because like you I make salad until recently (laughs) um I so I was making a cheesecake a sour cream cheesecake a friend gave me her favorite recipe and I was convinced I had it I was doing it for Thanksgiving and I set the timer to put it in the oven. I was like, 90 minutes? <laughs> what is in here that has to cook for 90 minutes? It's egg and sugar. I don't understand. So um, it might not have stayed in the refrigerator for 24 hours. Because I was <laughs> like, huh? there's nothing
1: in here that needs 90 minutes to cook. But oh, it's amazing. Right? You'll I'll have to share with me the minutes. recipe. I'd love that because... I I will. I'll send it to you. I had an epic cheesecake fail with the Instant Pot. So I'm trying to redeem myself. Getting the Instant Pot with cheesecake would be amazing. So there's a recipe called Cheesecake Number 17 because apparently it took 17 tries and that's the one I did. And I think I beat the eggs too much because you know how you're just supposed to stir and just come together? No, I didn't. I I think I heard it. So... I think so. I'm hoping number three, <laughs> right? Because
2: <laughs> I'm not sure cheesecake's that good. <laughs> to try it seventeen times. Seventeen
1: times. curry, though, that I might hit seventeen times.
2: Yeah. My friend did it for Thanksgiving because she knows it's my favorite curry, so she challenged me to um, to make it myself.
1: Oh, wow, that's awesome.
2: So, Nicole, as you know, we, we have, we do talk to our guests before they come on, guys. Um, it's not all <laughs> ad lib, but as you know, for January, we're really just, you, you we're looking back at some great things that happened, whether it's life lessons that were born from some of the tragedies, or if it was just some positive wins that happened. You know, I want to pause, and we'll, we'll do this again multiple times throughout this series, Celebrating the great things, it does not negate the tragedy that the world has experienced in 2020. And that's not what we're trying to do with this series. We're not trying to push those tragedies under the rug. What we are saying, though, is that if you pause and take some time to reflect, you might see that there was some good. And yes, 2020 was bad in a way that you probably have to look really deep for some of us to see some of the good things that happened. But in 365 days, there were some good things. And so we want to talk a little bit about how 2020 was for you. What you said earlier, figuring out what to do with a four-year-old and an eight-year-old was a big challenge. I have to tell you, I cannot even imagine... (laughs) Um, was that one of your biggest challenges or were there some other challenges thrown
1: into the year? I think there were a number of different challenges. January, February, March, you're kind of on this like, oh, we're rolling into the year. Everything's going to be fine. Then, boom, what just happened? Okay. And then April, May, June, you're like, oh, I get to be at home. Okay, this is kind of cool. No, it's not. It's not. Not when you have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old and craziness happening around. So I think some of the challenges were, you know, I had just come into a new role. First of all, I had come on to JPMC in, you know, the year before in September, very end of September. So I was still really new in my role and I was taking on some really meaty projects that really required collaboration face to face. And that got taken away really quickly. The following month, you know, our grandmother passed away and she lives in Canada. You can't cross the borders. And then the school shut down. So it's like one thing after another. And it feels like, you know, in Hawaii, there's a favorite break that we have. It's called Sandy's. It's also called Breakneck Beach because the waves hit you so hard and so fast that you can't get up. And that's kind of what the beginning of 2020 felt like. Like I couldn't get a breath in. It was too much stuff going on. And I think the two things I really fought with early on were boundaries and burnout. Boundaries because having two kids at home, both my husband and I working from home, they didn't understand that mommy and daddy were working from home. They just understood that mommy and daddy were computers and there are people in the computer. So why can't we talk to the people too? which is great for, you know, executive level presentations.
0: <laughs> yeah, I worked my first 23 and a half hour day this year in my career history. So I can totally relate to how important boundaries are.
1: <laughs> so when that video came out from the BBC of that guy with the kid coming in, we didn't realize what kind of foreshadowing that was. Yeah. But it was, um, it was the boundaries there. They didn't understand those boundaries And then the kids having to do school at home was really challenging and not just the virtual part and the technology part, not having their friends. So as a parent, you're dealing with your own work, but you're also dealing with the mental struggles of your child who doesn't understand why they can't see their friends, they can't be with their friends, why people are masked, why people are afraid, why people are sick, why they can't see their grandmother. And you're trying to explain all this while trying to launch a career at the same time with big initiatives. It is, a challenge is, is, um, is not even the word I would use. It's like a mission impossible. So I'm like, I don't choose this mission. I did not choose this mission. <laughs> and then there's burnout because there's no boundaries. You know, the beauty of a commute is you have built-in boundaries. Sorry, I can't get to my computer. I'm in the car. And then going home, I had 20 minutes to 60 minutes, depending on Dallas traffic, of just me. I had that time to decompress. Now there is no such time. So I think those are the two biggest struggles boundaries and burnout. Plus, having a global team. You know, our team is in the UK, Mumbai, Glasgow, same time zone, some in Australia, and then scattered throughout the US. So having that. There were some nights the kids would go to bed and I would sneak back onto the computer at nine to catch people in Hong Kong. And then I looked at myself, like, what are you doing? What what are you doing? And then I would say, It's okay, you're at home. It's not a big deal, but it was a big deal because boundaries are there for a reason.
2: Ray, right, I'm pretty sure you can relate to this. I hate to throw you
1: under the bus, but I am. <laughs> And it's, it's you, right? It's not like somebody's asking you to do this. You're doing it to yourself. That's the worst part. But you've also done some really great things this year,
2: if you ref- or last year. If you reflect back onto 2020, Nicole, what were some of the things you're like, man, I'm so proud of that?
1: Oh, gosh. Coming on board to a new position. The company is, is, is huge, right? It's 250,000 people. I've never worked with the scope before, and it's incredibly overwhelming. So one of the things I got to do in the beginning of the year was start writing a white paper on identifying what are the soft skills that are necessary for technologists, really heavy focus on technologists, in order to be successful in their careers. And I think something with our technologists that we take for granted is that technology is changing the face of technology. So many technologists get in because they love the problem. They love the solving, they love the the tangible software, the AI, the, the data science that's driven behind it. But now that human aspect, that's something that's not as familiar. It's completely intangible, it's nuanced, and there is no right way to attack it. And it's very challenging for a technologist who can see the answer. So trying to marry those two, I think has been one of the greatest projects I've been working on. And that was early in the year where we found a type of what courses can we do? There's a great white paper that Burning Glass did that kind of broke down what are the soft skills that are needed by industry, but there's not a lot of information on technology. So I got to do a lot of that research. I got to do a lot of that market research, talking both internally to the organization, externally, and finding things that are right for our people. So that was one thing that I really, really enjoyed creating that. Second thing, though, was... What I just talked about was the challenge. I think one of my greatest wins was figuring out boundaries. And my daughter is learning in biology about permeable and impermeable membranes. Like some cells will let some things through and some cells have to be completely impermeable. So now I look at the boundaries that way. I had to create some semi-permeable boundaries I went into work from home thinking, I have to have my kids here. I have to have my work here. I have to have this here. And it doesn't work. It does not work. You have to be okay having a semi-permeable boundary when it comes to your work life. So after a few weeks, I had my daughter's desk in my room, in my office right next to me, and my son's PlayStation right next to me. And that's all they really wanted. They just wanted proximity to me. That was one of the boundaries that I I just let be. But I did create an impermeable boundary that every day at a certain time I would either go for a walk, I would shut things down, I would go outside. But it's finding out what those are. Giving yourself fifteen minutes to decompress and kind of just wind down from the day, or ramp up for the day, or take a break in the middle of the day. And sometimes that would be in my closet. Or hiding in the pantry because where else would you hide, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you can walk around the block. So I think Dude, big- let's
2: imagine for just a moment. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. Like I'm going to say it and it's going to jinx the world. Let's imagine for just a moment <laughs> that we come out of this place and we're able to go back into offices. How do you still... Apply some of those boundaries, even when I don't. We, Marie and I, both agree nothing will ever be normal again. It's kind of redefine normal. It's lasted too long, but I do think to, to what you said earlier, there's some conversations um, and some change in business that are significantly more impactful if you do them face to face. So um, we will have face to face again. How do you keep this lesson?
1: I think part of the lessons, boundaries and self care, right? So I think self care, we talk about it. We, we say it's so important and we do it. But what I have found is that, at least for me, I wasn't doing it with full integrity, right? So I would, I would do the meditation or I would do the workout. But while I was doing it, I don't think I was 100% there. My brain was still at work, it was still with my kids. I think one of the lessons I'll take back going in is, am I 100% present where I am? The world has made it too easy to be 50% there and 50% somewhere else. It's made it too easy to multitask. So I've made it a habit of shutting down my Skype when I have meetings, shutting down my phones when I have meetings so that I'm not pinged or zinged or binged or whatever it is. And in the office, you got to do the same thing because it's too easy for an email to come in while you're in a meeting and you answer it and you lose that complete flow of work. I also think that these boundaries where we've been able to bring in a lot of who we are as people outside of work into work has made for a much more robust environment even with some of the very stalwart directors that I've been working with, you know, who've been at the company for a quarter of a decade, or not a quarter of a decade, a quarter of a century, I should say, seeing their faces light up when my four-year-old bounces in and says something completely inappropriate has changed the face of the business. And I think it's created a real sense of humanity and connection. And going in, I think we, we didn't realize how important social connection was. Part of what I do in keynote speaking is social connection. And I, I was devastated, frankly, when this came about, when COVID came about, because I had a great speech lined up. I had a lot of stuff to do. But how do you talk about social connection face to face when you can't do social connection face to face? So, reworking all of that thought process, social connection doesn't just necessarily have to be face to face. We're Zooming right now, and we are technically face to face, but you can see each other, you can get inflected. You can get body language. And I think those are things that in office we have to be much more mindful of because I don't think that people are going to come back entirely. right. There's going to be a flex and a bend. And then you're going to have those with pre-existing conditions. And even when we do have a vaccine available to everyone, what if someone doesn't want to take it? It's being respectful of individuals. And I think that's what this year has taught us from social unrest to what's happening in our world nowadays to politics, it's created a very self-aware world. And I think that's something that we have to take into office. If there's any lesson that you learned, it's who can you be? Can you be a better person? And if you aren't, why not?
2: So Marie and I had um, a great opportunity to be introduced to a book by Bunkingham, which is the nine lies of work. And he said it so well, we thought it forever, but he said it well for us. But we've looked at a lot of things that are expected in corporate America and thought that has got to be a lie. And for some of it, I don't know that it's necessarily a lie. Culture, for example, we sort of feel the biggest problem with company culture and why people can't do it is that there's a strange misunderstanding of what people mean when they say company culture. There's a whole lot of thinking we mean culture, like you from the Philippines or me from the South and what do Southerners do, right? And that's not really what corporate culture means. So we believe that redefining it will help Um, You talking about that balance of humanity and who we really are, that's another lie. You know, we've always known that the idea of work-life balance was ludicrous because the way it was presented in the early 2000s wasn't even possible. I think this year has taught us that we were looking at it from the wrong definition we were looking at the word balance and we were thinking has to be equal right and what we should have been looking at was how do we integrate us and maybe it is like you said Mia's desk when she's doing homework is right beside mommy's and she feels all grown up like she's going to work every day too she's doing her schoolwork that's what it means to have that balance it also sometimes it just means being 100% in and like you said if you choose maria to work 23 and a half hours a day <laughs> at least during those 23 and a half hours be all in right and, and maybe you do have uh, stretches of that maria and i both <laughs> uh, during 2021 we led the COVID response in the organizations that we worked for. And there were absolutely times where it was nonstop because you were dealing with um, medical emergencies and potential impact to others, but we had to be all in. And that meant when the phone wasn't ringing about COVID-19, we were all with, with our family or whatever that other thing was. So I love that lesson. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's something incredible that people, particularly in the corporate world, we've got to apply because in the past, it has just been about grinding and it needs to be about balance.
1: It does. Michelle, I love that you talk about integration because... Balance does not exist. (laughs) Balance is 50-50 and you're never gonna have 50-50. It's a lie because we work at least eight to ten hours a day, right? If it's a 40-hour work week, eight to ten. You're not spending eight to ten hours with your family. It's just not happening. And then putting in that sleep too. So integration, it's it's really the best word for it. And
2: to your point about seeing a different side of people, right? When we start to show who we are as a person, it makes you more approachable. It builds trust within your team. I guarantee there are leaders all across the world who have a different level of respect and trust from their team than they did going into this because they finally see that leader is human, juggling their own children or juggling their own, for me, it's a dog, but you finally, you get to see there are those challenges.
1: Yeah, I think humanizing each other, you have to do that. You have to bring your whole self to work. You know, we talk about authenticity and what COVID has done for us. It's allowed us to bring authenticity to who we are and what we do. And despite all of the tragedies and the challenges that it's brought, if it has allowed us to allow our humanity shine through, that's a very hopeful thing.
2: Absolutely. Because in corporate America, we were trying to hide that piece of
1: us. Yeah, you go in and you're just brash and badass and doing whatever you can to get to wherever you want to get to. And you're, you're like Teflon, nothing sticks. And inside you are crumbling. I think this allowed us to be truly human. And it allowed us to really focus on bringing your whole self to work, being transparent, being authentic, realizing that a lot of the pressures that are on us are self inflicted and it forces you to make choices. I think this time has really helped us to narrow down and still, I think we hear this everywhere, right? You figure out what's really important, but you don't really figure out what's really important until something like this happens.
2: You're absolutely right. I
0: agree. I mean, I think a lot of what you said is just, you know, it's really critical for us to kind of sit there and reflect and to determine what we can and can't do and our span of scope within the, the boundaries we've put in place at home. And so I think that's important um, for all of us to sit back and reflect on is how are we gonna do that moving forward? You mentioned coming back into the office and um, you know we, we talked a little bit about that And I think it's going to be interesting because there is going to be some PTSD from employees when they come back. And people are going to be so quick to want to do conference uh, meetings and be all together in a room again, not realizing that it may affect people one way or another. So I think, you know, those are all things we need to think about is, yeah, we need to reflect on this last year and how we've made things work. But we also need to then prepare for the future and think through how we're going to allow some of those boundaries um, to maintain, even going back into some normalization. Very much so.
2: So listeners, we're going to challenge you guys. If you did not have an opportunity to use this, uh, the year of 2020 to reflect on what was important to reflect on where you should be investing your time, how you show up 100%, how you show up authentically who you are. Now's our challenge to you. Do it now. It's not too late. You know what? We all know that I hate news resolutions because they are stupid and you should be able to make goals any time <laughs> of the year. It should be contingent on a day of the year. Like, why... Just because the... Okay, forget it. I'm not going to go on a tangent. Don't (laughs) don't get on your soapbox, Michelle. Some people love it. Get over it. Okay, fine. Um, Probably get the nasty responses more than Maria does. She's so much nicer than I am. Um, (laughs) Whatever. Good thing I have a thick skin, right? But this is the challenge to you. You may not have done it before the calendar changed to 2021, but it's not too late. Like, pause look back, grieve your losses, whether they were literal losses or, you know, in a person, there are absolutely some folks I know who have lost some people in 2020, whether it is the, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job. Loss requires grief. It requires moving through that process at different levels, depending on the level of the loss, of course grieve that loss, right? But then look back, honestly, at what went well, what did you accomplish? What was maybe not so obvious when you were going through it, but now looking back was a lesson that you need to apply in your life every day. So that's our challenge for you guys, listeners. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you about what some of those lessons are. So please, pop on any of the social media channels, share what your wins and your lessons were. We'd love to to continue. Maria, what did you call this? The the 2020 Lemons series, (laughs) but it's the series of inspiration. You know, we were lucky enough today to have you, Nicole. Thank you so much for stepping on. Can't thank you enough. No question. You brought some inspiration to this series, and I really do appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's so good to be here. Thank you.
2: Last thing, guys, maybe you're struggling with finding your purpose. Perhaps you aren't willing to answer those tough questions without someone there to prod you. You know, we have, whether you're talking about personally or professionally, we have certified coaches at Real Talent. Um, you can do short sessions with us. You can book a three-month session with us, um, and we can walk you through some of those tough questions as an accountability partner. Here's the the important thing: if you reach out from a from a coaching perspective, coaches don't tell you what to change, who you are, what to do. We help you hold yourself accountable to answering those hard questions. Um, so reach out, realtalent.com. We'd love to help you figure out if you're in the right place or you need to find a new path. Until next time, listeners, take care. Bye. Bye, guys.